Advent begins in the dark, but you'd better wake up and get ready because God is coming and he's calling in his debts. Advent does quite literally begin in the dark. As you know, the liturgical day always begins at sunset of the day preceding. So Advent literally began yesterday at sunset. And the sun is going down now at like 5, 5.30. I don't know. It still doesn't seem right. I'm not a big fan of daylight savings. But Advent literally begins in the dark. I was sitting in my kitchen saying evening prayer before bed, and it was dark. The house was quiet. But Advent begins in the dark symbolically too. Of course, we know in the scriptures, darkness is the symbol and sign of sin of our distance from God, of our lostness, our wandering, and our refusal of God's love. We are lost in the dark, and we have no idea where we are or how to get out. Wake up. We are enjoined in the scriptures by St. Paul and by Jesus in our reading to wake up, to wake up from our slumber, I'm reminded of my kids in the morning getting ready for school, trying to wake them up. It's not an easy task. But wouldn't you know it, on Christmas and on their birthdays, they are up and right as rain and ready to go. But again, we have fallen asleep in the slumbers of our sin, the slumbers of our lostness and darkness. We've kind of just given up and decided, well, I'm just going to stay where I am and have a nap. But when your eyes are closed, you can't see reality for what it is. And if God is the fullness of what reality is, as the creator, maker, and sustainer of reality, we can't see him when our eyes are closed, closed by the darkness of sin. Get ready. Advent is a time to prepare. When we get up in the morning, we put on our slippers, put on our house coats, go make that first cup of coffee, prepare our breakfast to get ready for the day. So too, Jesus and St. Paul in our readings remind us that it is time to get dressed. Well, what do we wear? We put on Christ himself. We put on the armor of light because darkness can only be scattered by light. Hatred can only be conquered by love. This is the armor of light, the armor of Jesus Christ, our salvation. If you've ever seen a freshly set, a polished set of armor, it gleams in the sunset and that very powerful image of a horse galloping in a joust or in combat with fresh oil, a uh, fresh armor, oiled and bright in the sun. This is the image that we can have in our minds of what we are to put on. When I uh, was a child, well, a teenager, my family and I had a trip to the Mammoth Caves in Kentucky. And we got to go on a tour of the caves and we were about a mile underground at one point and the tour guide turned off the lights. Well, you can imagine what darkness is like a mile underground with no natural light to come in. 
That is the darkest I have ever seen darkness. A darkness so thick you could cut it with a knife. And as the darkness settled and as panic started to settle in a little bit, you know the tour guide had done this before and was taking every opportunity to relish the moment, he lights a match. Now it didn't give a lot of light, but it gave a point of light that broke through the darkness, that single match, a mile underground where no natural light was, it cut through the darkness. We are lost, as I said, in the darkness of our sin. Our eyes are closed. We cannot see God if our eyes are closed. But yet, like that small match cut through the darkness in those caves, our light is coming. Our life and our salvation is on His way. He is coming. And He is calling in His debts. God is coming and calling in His debts. Now, this does not mean that God is a loan shark. God is not a banker or a bookie. God is love. And we are debtors to God's love. We are debtors to God's love because Jesus paid our debts for us. A debt we could never repay ourselves. A debt that Christ came to pay. And therefore, we are called to pay it forward. That is what our vocation is as those baptized into the church, baptized as Christ's followers. We are called to pay forward that lavish grace and mercy and forgiveness by which our own debts were paid. So we shouldn't be scared at the coming of God, but we should be prepared to be ready. Because as our readings remind us, God will show up unannounced, and God will show up at the hour that he has appointed. Now, in the Eucharistic lectionary of the Western Church that has been used since the 4th century, if we were doing Eucharist today, the reading would be from the Gospel would be the reading of the cleansing of the temple, where Jesus shows up, comes into the temple, and cleans it out. Now, you may be thinking, well, that sounds like a Palm Sunday reading, and you would be right, it is. But the church fathers also saw it as an important metaphor for that period of beginning the church's year of Advent. Because Advent is a season of preparation. We are called to prepare our souls. Our souls are the place where Christ is coming to dwell. We are preparing a room for him. We cannot, like the innkeeper, be those who say, I am sorry, Jesus, there is no room for you here. I have to clear away the clutter and the junk, the things that stand in the way, the things that I've put into storage that I don't really need, but somehow I hold on to. I was reminded of this in reading a section from St. Augustine's Confessions. The Confessions is probably one of the first autobiographies in Western literature. It goes back to the 400s when St. Augustine wrote it. And it's essentially a long prayer. Augustine is looking at himself, at his soul, and he's trying to figure out and tell his own story of where God was, even when Augustine was not seeking God. And right at the beginning, St. Augustine says this, 
The house of my soul is too small for you, God, to enter. Make it more spacious by your coming. It lies in ruins. Rebuild it. Some things are to be found there which will offend your gaze. I confess this to be so and know it well. But who will clean my house? To whom but yourself can I cry? Cleanse me of my hidden sins, O Lord, and for those incurred through others, pardon your servant. I believe and so I will speak. You know everything, Lord. God is coming and he's calling in his debts. And the debt that we owe God is everything. Our souls and bodies. To give God anything less is to shortchange God. Now we like to bargain with God. We want to get a deal. Well, God, I'll give you this part of me or this part of me and then we'll call it even. But God says, no. I owe God everything, my life. Because my very life is only made possible because God is. And so because I owe a God everything, this is precisely what God demands. But like St. Augustine, we need to be aware of our need for God to come and to cleanse and to purge and refocus my life and my loves, which are so often skewed and disordered. In his epistle to the Romans, St. Paul tells us, to owe no one anything but love. Owe no one anything but love. I remember my grandfather when he would lead the Lord's Prayer at family meals and gatherings in his heavy Frisian accent. He would pray the version of the Lord's Prayer that uses the word debtor. And he had this way of drawing out that word that we always found a bit funny and because of his accent it was strange to us to hear, but there is something very endearing about the way he said this word, detor. I can't do it justice. But when we pray the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. We don't like the idea of debts because we're told, you know, debt is not a good thing, but the Lord, Jesus gave us this prayer, forgive us our debts, our transgressions, our sins. Forgive us the debt of love that we owe to God and the debt of love that we owe to our neighbors. We are all debtors to God, and we are all debtors to our neighbors. I owe God my love myself, my very being. I owe my neighbor that same love. We are called in this time of Advent to prepare, and there is no time like the present to, than to love. We are reminded of this when we watch the news, we read the papers. There is no time like the present to love. Because it is in this very act of seeking to love, to prioritize God and to prioritize my love of neighbors that we learn what it means to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. Now love does not mean sentiment. Right? Sentiment is what sells, especially in the time leading up to Christmas. Hallmark has made an industry of this. That's fine. Sentiment is okay. I'm not being against sentiment. But we cannot reduce love to sentiment. In the same way, we can't reduce love to romantic feelings. Because if it was, my wife doesn't always love me. 
And I don't always love my wife if love is about romantic feelings. Love cannot be about the warm fuzzies that we have. Love is more than these things. Again, sentiment has a place. Romantic feelings have a place. Warm fuzzies have a place. But they cannot be reduced to the love that is God. Because what Jesus teaches us is that love is willing the good of the other. Wanting the other what they need to fulfill them not by their own wishes and desires, but to fulfill them in a way that God wants to fulfill them. So what is the good of the other? Jesus teaches us the good of the other. The good of the other is to love them the way God loves them. Not in a sentimental way, not in a romantic way, not in a warm, fuzzy way, but in a way that purges and cleanses and prepares and makes room. Love is enshrined in our culture as the ultimate example. And yet our culture does not know what real love is because it reduces it to a consumer product. But the love that is coming to us in that baby born in Bethlehem is a love that, we, that is more than we can ask or imagine, a love that is more than we can fathom, a love that invites us in to participate in what it is. St. Dorotheus of Gaza, centuries ago, invited us to picture in our minds a wheel, a bike wheel or a wagon wheel. So you got the round outer part, the spokes, and then the center where the axle sits. God is the center. And all of us are somewhere on the, those spokes. And we are either moving toward the center or we are moving away from the center. But as St. Dorotheus pointed out, the more we move toward the center, toward God, the more we are also simultaneously moving toward each other. So do you see how the love of God and the love of neighbor work in tandem? God is the ultimate focus. As we focus on God, as we prepare ourselves for him, as we move toward him, we are also moving toward our, each other, closer to ourselves. So it is in our very preparations that we learn what love is. So when we read about Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday so long ago, here on the first Sunday of Advent, when we read of his anger upon finding his temple made into a, excuse me, a den of thieves, let us think of ourselves. Wow, the phones are really going off today. <laughs> Have we ordered the desires and ambitions of our life in such a way as will allow us to recognize the good that Christ brings, to know his truth, to live his life, to accept his love, not on our terms, but on his? Or is our life just as disordered as the money changers who perverted the use of the temple and were therefore cast out by Christ? Listen then to St. Paul's message. It is now high time to awake out of sleep. The joy of his coming, the joy of Advent, belongs to those who will the good which Christ is and which he brings. Amen.